All right. Thank you, Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles this evening. How many glad to be in church tonight? I'm happy to be here this evening. It's a wonderful thing. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. You should have no problem finding us. The last book of the Bible. Amen. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I so hope you'll be here for this workers' conference. It's going to be great. We're just going to be greatly encouraged. I tell you, Brother Howell is an encouraging pastor, and he'll greatly encourage you. I know he will, so you'll be here for that. Revelation 2. By the way, pray for our missions conference. We're almost settled up on all of our speakers and missionaries coming for that. We're very excited about that. Uh, we're, we're, we're planning on, I've got to firm this up, with our missionary Jerry Wyatt to Tanzania will hopefully be with us. He'll be one of our keynote speakers. Uh, Brother Dan Morris. Brother Dan Morris is probably one of the great heroes in the missions movement today. Over 30 churches started during his lifetime, and God's used him greatly. And he's had all the setbacks, and I want, I want you to hear about some of those when he, when he comes up here for that. And we've got a, we've got a man, uh, Brother Justin, what, what's that country? He's Takatakistan? Tajikistan. Tajikistan. We've got a, a missionary that's in Tajikistan that's coming uh, that's, that will encourage her. He's a Baptist missionary, too, on top of that. Amen. And so it's going to be great. We've got some great things going, and uh, it's going to be a great conference. I hope you'll be much in prayer for that. Revelation 2 tonight, verse 12. Verse 12. Now, I'm going to break this up in two messages uh, this, uh, because it's just so much content here. And I just don't think it will do justice to try to co- combine it all together. And I think you'll appreciate and understand it a little bit better. I hope you take some notes tonight. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos. Say that with me tonight. Pergamos. 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 We're, we're trying to learn how to say Bible words. Amen. Yeah, we ought to go back to Isaiah 8.1 again, amen, you know. But to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which has a sharp sword with two edges. Now, I want you to make a note there. Of course, as we know, he's talking about the authority of God's word. But Pergamos... Pergamus also represents a, a age in church history of great persecutions. And it was the sword of Rome that was shedding the blood of Christians. And so Jesus is kind of saying to this pastor that he's writing to, I know there's a sword from Rome, but I want you to know my sharp, my sword still prevails. I have a sharper sword. And so he says, These things saith he which has a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Interesting. Interesting. Jesus talks about a city that was Satan's domain. That's interesting. Even where Satan's seat is, and he made this statement, where Satan dwelleth. Now, somebody was paying attention to that. Did you hear what I'm saying this evening? He said, I know where you're at. I know where you're at, church. 
where Satan's seat is, where Satan dwelleth. And then he said, but I have a few things. Now, he said to church at Ephesus, I have I have somewhat this church. He said, I got a few things against you. And that's why I have to break this up in two messages, because there's some things that perhaps you need to understand that tonight we won't have time to get into. But I have a few things against you because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. And so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Now, that's kind of interesting. He's not talking about, in verse 14 and 15, about Satan's seat, even though it's there. He's talking about bad doctrine that got in the church. Bad doctrine. And it's not what you're thinking, the kind of doctrine it is. He talks of the doctrine of Balaam, which I'll spend some time next week to talk about. And the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which has never been developed from this pulpit. I'm going to spend a few minutes to tell you about that. And so I'll just tell you, verse 14, 15 again, why I have to break up into two messages. Jesus is brokenhearted, but Jesus is, is, uh, has righteous indignation. And in verse 16, he said, repent, then there's a semicolon. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and fight and will fight against them, notice this, with the sword of my mouth. Now, if you know your Bible, you know when he comes, the second coming, he slays those nations who assemble against him with just the word of his mouth. That's the sword. And there's blood everywhere. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Tonight we're looking at verses 12 and 13. And I've entitled the message, The Church Where the Gates of Hell Could Not Prevail. Jesus gave us a promise in Matthew 16, 18, did he not? He said, upon this rock, who's he talking about? Himself, Petra. Upon this rock, this large, massive boulder, upon this rock, I will build my church. Aren't you glad it's his church? Amen. Okay. If we're trying to build our church, we're, we failed. It's his church. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. They shall not advance. And I want you to see tonight a church where hell's gates could not prevail. A church where hell's gates could not prevail. And if you'll listen tonight and just get a few things. My, my wife made a good comment to me. She said, honey, I, I wish you had time to develop some of those things you were talking about, having faith in God. I said, I wish I did too. And if you understand preaching, just there's sometimes 
You just cannot develop everything you want to say. And that'll be true tonight too. But I'll give you enough. And the word of God is enough, by the way. The word of God is enough. That it'll help us to get, get what we need so that hell's gates do not prevail. Because I'm going to tell you what happened then. There's no difference right now. We are in an area where Satan's dwelling. We are in an area where Satan's throne or seat is. And we need to think about that for a minute. And we need to think about as we want to encourage church planters. And we just took on a number of church planters at the Heartland, the Heartland Church Planters Conference. We just committed several thousand dollars and I'm getting thank you notes from these pastors in different areas and I'm thankful for that. But we need some men who will go out where Satan is dwelling. Not because the landscape's nice. Not because it's a university town. Not because it's, it's famous for this thing, that, and the other. We need some men to go to some places. And I'm telling you this so you can pray with me about this. We need some men to go to some places where all the place where, where Satan is known, but Jesus Christ's name needs to be lifted up. Do not get used to being comfortable. And do not you get used to being a church that everything's floating along. Sometimes we need to go back 21 years back. And remember getting our hands dirty and rolling up some sleeves and working a little bit harder. And realizing that we are we are right in the nest where Satan dwelleth. And we've got to have some things that this church had if we're going to make it. Father, tonight, thank you for the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of truth. Heritage Baptist Church. First of all, I thank you, God, for Jesus. He's the head of the church. I thank you that he is to have preeminence in this church. I thank you for his precious blood. And that through his blood we're able to enter into the holiest of places. I thank you for the members of Heritage Baptist Church. God, what a good crowd tonight, in spite of sickness and illness. I thank you, Lord, for this faithful congregation. People will love you. I looked at some of them tonight. They're very tired, Lord. They've had rehearsals and practices, and many have had got a number of things, and others tonight are carrying great burdens and sorrows for things going on. And, uh, Lord, I, I don't want to wear them out, Lord. I, I pray this evening that you give a word of encouragement. And I'm thinking about <coughs> how the... A man asked Jeremiah, is there a word from God? And I'm thankful there's a word from God tonight. Please meet with us, oh God. Please help us tonight. We need something from you, Lord, the supernatural that's heaven sent. I pray for power tonight. Whether a boy or girl, man or woman, that God you would help us this evening to please you. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> We're looking at the church, which is at Pergamos. Pergamos was located on the western part of Asia Minor. Now, remember, Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey now. Modern-day Turkey. And so you've got to look on the western part of a map to get a visualization of this. That area uh, is what is called now Mysia Minor. And it was north of Smyrna. And 20 miles north of the Mediterranean Sea. To get your geography in terms of proximity, it was 45 miles north of Smyrna, which we just looked at, a faithful church, and 75 miles from Ephesus. 
In terms of geography, it wasn't very far away. In terms of what God was doing, I believe that that church was started, as among many others, when a faithful number of men went out with the word of God when Paul was at Ephesus in Acts 19. And the Bible says that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, whoever those men were, thank God they got under good tutelage and good preaching. They got the call of God on their lives. They got a fire in their bones. And they may have even been men who were native to those cities. And they went back there to reach those cities. We were witnessing to someone yesterday and uh, one of the two people. And one of them said, Pastor Fong, I'm from Hangzhou, China. I said, you are? I said, that's where we have a missionary in Hangzhou, China. And I told, told this person about Brother Ted, and they said, well, you know, whenever this coronavirus thing is over and I can go back home, I want to go visit that man and, and meet him. And I said, well, we'll set up the arrangement. We'll get you to meet there. But uh, there were some faithful people that uh, just some faithful men that went back there and a church got started there. Now, today, if you go to the location where Pergamus was at, it's now called the modern village of Bergama, Turkey, and uh, that covers that ancient site. As we'll see in a minute, this was a pagan and idolatrous area. And I'll tell you some things about that in a minute. But it's amazing that a place that seemingly, humanly speaking, looked impossible to start a church and a place that looked like it would be very difficult and there would be great hostility, and there was, and adversarial pushback, and there was, a church was started there. Amen? I mean, a church got started there. And God did something there, and we read some things about this church in verses 12 and 13 that encourages our hearts. Now, this week, we're looking at the church where hell's gate did not prevail. Next week, when we look at the other verses, we're going to look at the church that let hell in. The church that let hell in, that's what they did. They let the gates of hell prevail against it. We're going to see how there was a turnabout, and we're going to learn some things so we can set up some safeguards there. And tonight, we notice... The two things stand out in verses 12 and 13. The church at Pergamos, to whom Jesus wrote to, and I believe the man who was his founding pastor, a man by the name of Antipas. And you want to remember the name Antipas. And we want to think about this man Antipas tonight and be inspired by this man's courageous efforts for God. And so we want to see some things tonight about this church. Notice number one, we see a fiendish force. We see a fiendish force. The Bible says... That Jesus said here that he was writing to a church where Satan's seat was, Satan's seat is, and Satan dwelleth. In other words, when this church was founded somewhere around the time Paul was at Ephesus, and uh, and then later on, we believe it could have been around AD 62, AD 63, that the Apostle John uh, ordained uh, Antipas to the ministry and commissioned him to pastor that church. He sent him over that church at Ber- Ber- Pergamus somewhere around that time. And at the time of this writing, we believe it was about 95 AD, 96 AD, somewhere around that time for 30, maybe 40 years, this church stood strong and did some great things. Now, as we look at this, the thing that calls our attention this evening is the fact that this church was right in the hotbed where Satan dwelled. Where Satan see now how did it get that name? Well, let's look at some things about Ber- Pergamus that it was famous for. Now, this was a wealthy city. And one of the things it was wealthy for was that parchment or paper was made, not paper, but it was known for the production of parchment there in that location. It's kind of like if you go up to the northwest, where the northwest from here in uh, Oregon and Washington, Washington, especially with all the great 
forests and the timber there. You know, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of these companies like Weyerhaeuser and places like that. They're very famous for paper production. They're, you know, the cutting down of the trees and all those kind of things there. This church was known for the production of, of parchment and it became very wealthy because it was the parchment, uh, production center of the world and, uh, it was sent all over the place and, and of course they were strategically located so they could get this parchment to, uh, the shipping ports and get it to different places around the world there. So it was very famous for that and those people were behind that industry. They provided a lot of jobs, things like that. But it was also religiously, spiritually, I hope you'll take some notes on this. It was the seat of the dynasties of Atalus and Eumenes and uh, famous for the temple of Esculapius. Now Esculapius was the god of medicine. Esculapius, we don't understand and think about it much today, but if you study Greek mythology a little bit there and read your world history back then, Esculapius was the god of medicine and was very famous for the a symbol, which was the rod with the serpent twi- twisted around that. And so there was the temple of Esculapius. Now, something very interesting there, there at the temple of Esculapius, as, uh, and I'll say something more about this later on, that uh, people, people would go there and uh, the temple, the temple was filled with all these different kinds of snakes. Now, whether they're venomous snakes or not, I'm not sure. It was filled with snakes. And a person that was very sick, this is how, this is how corrupt their society was, but how gullible they were too. People would go in that society. They would go to the, they'd ask for entry to the temple of Esculapius. And then the priest there at es- of the temple of Esculapius would tell those people to lie down. And they would just lay down on the, on the ground and then they would allow these serpents that were just roaming around freely. They'd allow the serpents to crawl over them. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not really interested in a serpent crawling over me. Amen. Okay. And, uh, but they said they had the saying that if you let a serpent crawl over you or slither over you, that you would be healed of your, of your disease. And I'll be honest with you because Satan dwelleth there. There could have been some satanic healing that was going on in those places there. There could have been some satanic things going on uh, on that. Now, this was a city where that those kind of things were going on. It was uh, it was a, the, the it, there was the, the temple there. Uh, there was not only that temple, but there were three temples in Pergamus that were devoted to the emperor worship cult. And that's a big thing we have to understand tonight. There was a big worship of the Caesars and they had three separate temples there dedicated to that each year. Roman citizens were required to go to one of these temples and as they would walk in, there would be a big basin there of salt and they would take the salt and they would walk inside and they would take a pinch of salt and walk up to an altar and they would pinch, they put the salt inside the altar and they were told to say this Caesar's God. Now you can imagine that with the Roman government at, at its just, again, it's at its height and, and, and there was great persecution of Christians. You can imagine that there was a lot of pressure on the Christians back in that day. And basically in that whole city, Pergamus, it was known for the fact because those temples, everyone, everyone in those cities, they went to the temples at Pergamus. They worshiped the emperor. And it was known today that if you didn't worship the emperor, you would be in big, big trouble. So you can imagine people going there to this basin as they entered in and getting a pinch of salt and going up there and not softly and not silently, but loudly so others could hear. They would they would throw that salt inside the altar and they would say, Caesar is God. Caesar is God. And Caesar is God. And you can imagine that as, that ministering in that city with people,
people whose minds were inflamed that Caesar was God and Escalupius was the God of medicine and that if you wanted healing from any sickness, that you'd go to the temple of Esculapius and you'd go there and, and allow the snakes to slither over you. You can imagine how the city was very much possessed with satanic thinking. And uh, we go on from there. And on the hill outside the city, there was a massive altar dedicated to the Greek god Zeus. And uh, there, the altar, they say, that was dedicated to Zeus, where sacrifices were made. This, 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 this altar was 100 feet square and 40 feet tall. I mean, there was something about <coughs> these, these false gods and having these erections of... Um, these tall gods that people could see and they would worship and things of that nature. And, of course, this was a very, very pagan city. It was a wealthy city where the wealthy people devoted and gave their money to the, the, the building and the, in the embellishment of temples devoted to idols. There were numerous statues, numerous altars, many sacred groves. groves. If you go there and you can go look this up in history, Pergamus was a city that was polluted and filled with idol worship of all kinds. Now, if you grew up in that kind of environment, you would just be used to that. But if you got saved, and by the way, thank God you're saved tonight, amen? But if you got saved and you got under the blood of Jesus Christ, there would be something that would happen to you that would tell you that was all wrong. And as you start reading your Bible and you read that idolatry is wrong and God is, and when the first two or three commandments are talking about the fact that we should not bow down and worship any other God and we're not to covet for those things. There's something about being saved that changes your heart and mind and realizing idolatry is wrong and worshiping these gods is wrong and worshiping wealth is wrong and all those kind of things like that. And that's what, what that Christian's getting saved. That's what was going on there. But it goes on by that more than that. This was the place where the pagan Babylonian cults of Belshazzar moved to and as a result became the hub for the pagan cults. Listen to this. The pagan cults of Athena, Esculapius, as I said earlier, Dionysius and Zeus. I mean, there were, this place was rampant and run over with pagan worship. Listen to this. The title of the Magian high priest was called the chief bridge builder. The title of the Magian, because this was the Magian cult, which was big in that day, you look it up in world history, was his title was chief bridge builder, which basically meant he spanned the gulf between mortals and the gods. In Latin, listen to me tonight, because I'm going to explain to you to, uh, next week about what this doctrine of the Laetitians about, okay? His Latin title, listen to this, was Pontifus Maximus. Who knows what I'm talking about tonight? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about tonight. You come from that background. Pontifus Maximus. This title is used by the popes. This title goes all the way back. And I love when I teach through discipleship, I, I talk about this in Genesis chapter 10. About Nimrod. Nimrod was called Pontifus Maximus. He is the father of the New Age cults. New Age religion. Nothing's changed under the sun, my friend. The devil has a few more tricks up his sleeve, but it's the same kind of stuff going on. He was called Pontifus Maximus. Julius Caesar was called Pontifus Maximus when he became emperor. And he became the supreme civil religious ruler and head of Rome politically 
And religiously, and we read later on, we'll see in the third century, how all of this came together. We'll talk about that next week uh, when we get into this. In those days, would you notice this? In verse 13, God did not give, in verse 13, God purposely did not give recognition to the temple of Escalupius. He wanted to point, because the temple of Escalupius was very pretty. It was very, it was modern architecture, if you know what I mean, okay? It was very nice. If you lived during that day, and they had tourism, and you're interested in looking at the spots, you know what I'm talking about there. I mean, you go to certain spots, and, you know, my wife and I were in South Korea, and one of their highlights there is this big Buddhist temple, and they said, would you like to go see the Buddhist temple? I said, not really, but uh, they said, but we went anyway, and I just kind of went through to kind of see what's going on, just to pray over that situation, and man, I tell you what, I felt my hair standing up on the back of my neck when I got there, amen, you know, and uh, just praying through that situation, and I told the Baptist preachers I was with, said, guys, I'm just glad we're out of here, I really didn't come to see this, and, and I said, but you know, we need to pray for these people that are there, but but back back at that time, what you know for a team, Jesus told it told us exactly what this was all about. And people there in 95 AD, 96 AD knew exactly what he's talking about here. He says, This is where Satan's seat is. Now, the temple of Escalupius was described as Satan's seat. That's what he's talking about there. The temple of Escalupius was described as Satan's seat. Now the word seat is very simply the Greek word thronos. Thronos is where we get our word throne. Literally means this. It was his seat. It was the high chair at the table. It was the, it, the throne represents authority, dominion, force, and power. The unsaved community recognized Pergamus as this place where Satan's seat dwelleth. The saved community, whatever the number was that made up the church of Pergamus, rep- re- recognized the temple of Escalupius as the sa- Satan's seat where Satan's seat was. Jesus said to this church that was planted there, somebody got boldness and somebody got a courage and somebody got a call in his life. What did they help me tonight? Somebody got some courage in his heart and he went there to that, that location. He says, I don't care if there's the temple of Escalupius and I don't care if there's some people that want to, that people everywhere in the city, military times during the week get a pitch of salt and go up there to the altar and throw it in that altar and say Caesar's God they said somebody needs to go there and start a church and somebody needs to get something in his heart to do something for God and somebody went there and did something about it amen and somebody went there and started a church when Jesus was commending this church he said listen he's writing to the the angel of the church at at, 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 at Pergamus he's talking to the pastor that was there that was the successor to, to Antipas and he says I know where thou dwellest he says I know where you're at I know the difficulty. I know the pressures. I know the rejection. I know the adversity. I know the hostility. I know the pushback. I know where you're dwelling. I know you're you're right where Satan's seat is. You're there where Satan dwelleth. And I want to tell you tonight, as the God of this world, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And I want to tell you tonight, Satan is the God of this world who blinds the minds of them that believe not. And this was a this was a city where Satan was blinding the minds of them that believe not. I want to tell you tonight, Satan is not interested in just a little bit. He wants the entire throne. He wants the seed. He wants the throne of things. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be in control. He wants to be in charge of some things. I want to tell you tonight, Satan wants the throne of your heart. 
He wants the throne of your heart. He doesn't want you calling Jesus Christ Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't want, he want, does not want your heart's affection for Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to surrender your life and offer your life to serve Jesus Christ full time. He wants the throne of your heart. Hey, listen, he wants the throne of your home. You better listen to me tonight. He wants your home. The Bible says neither give place to Satan. He wants your home. Listen, he wants, he, he wants us to give place to the devil. He wants us tonight to get angry. He wants us tonight to have bitterness. He wants us tonight to live in a home filled with lies and deceit. He wants us to be deceiving. He wants us to have hidden things going on in our place here. He wants you to be deceitful to your spouse. He wants you to be in a place where there's unforgiveness in your home and there's bitterness and anger and wrath. I'm going to tell you tonight, we can fix a whole lot of problems in most homes and we can fix a whole lot of problems if people would just get to church and get on the word of God and realize tonight that Satan wants the throne of your home. And I tell you, he's getting that throne through television. He's getting that throne because of messed up schedules where your schedules are so tight and your schedules are so convoluted that you can't have family altar time you can't have prayer time you don't have bible time you don't have holy time you don't talk about the things of god there's all these things we find we're just busy bees taking care of everything around the home he wants the throne of your home he sits on the throne of your home as he controls the family entertainment the emphasis on education of the head versus exhortation of the heart and family division i'm just saying tonight he wants the throne of our hearts and the throne of our home listen he wants the throne of every city he wants the throne of every city. Satan controlled this city. That's not the only one he throws. Look at the vices in our cities and the many ways Satan has taken advantage. Back in the day when I was a kid, listen, the, the way Satan took advantage of it, you had the red light district where you had all this immoral activity going on and you'd have these pornography places and you'd have these X-rated bookstores and different bad, bad things there and you'd have the bars there and all those kind of things. Now today they've glamorized all those things. Now we've got cities where, where cities are controlled by, by the legalization of marijuana and I'm not afraid to tell you that tonight. It's the legalization. It may be legalized, but it's not right. It's, a, it's an addictive substance there. And right tonight, he's got these things going on, and he's got he's controlling it through our educational system, through the humanism being taught in the educational process there. And you just go look at the curriculum, and you go talk to these teachers there that are that have no sense of who God is, and they're trying to kick God out. And you see it through anthropology and the anti-creation mindset that's there. There's the addiction and substance abuse problems in our places. You look at the homeless problem in our in our cities there, and the and the cities just tolerating that and not being proactive about having to deal with this thing. I'm just saying today, there's so many things going on out there. Don't fool yourself and saying there are good cities out there. There are no good cities as long as Satan's seat dwells there right now. And we look at cities, we say, well, look at this place as a good business hub. Why, well, I encourage you tonight to just go take a look at the philosophy of that business. Are they pro-Christian? Are they pro-God? Go look at their employee handbook. Is it pro-God? Is it pro-Bible? Go see the things that you're used to seeing there. And I'm going to tell you tonight, Satan is insidious. He's working the avenues to everyone. And we just go floating along thinking it's nobody's business. And I don't want to disrupt things. And I don't want to stir up the waters. And I'm not going to bother things. Because you know what? I'm about 45, 50, 55 years old. And I'm going to be getting out of this thing pretty soon. There's somebody else's problem. No, I'm going to tell you tonight, it's not somebody else's problem. It's our problem. It's our problem we've got to deal with. We have to understand what we're dealing with. And you've got to understand tonight, you may not be a missionary over to Thailand. And you may not be a missionary to Vietnam. But you're a missionary where God's put you. 
you're a missionary on the school side and you're a missionary there. You're a missionary where you work and you're a missionary to your customers and you're a missionary to, to those people there. And you've got to realize that God has given you an audience of people, that you've got to be faithful to that group of people. I'm just saying tonight, we look at this place and it was, there was a fiendish force there. Satan had worked his way and worked his way and worked his way and worked his way into that system. And it was a city that was corrupted with all of these different types of things, with people worshiping the Caesar gods and worshiping the, the God of the medicine and all of these kind of things there. We see a fiendish force. But notice, secondly, in spite of a fiendish force, I'm thankful tell you there was a faithful flock amen Amen. i know thy works church he said jesus knows satan sees there but thank god there's a church there amen he had a church there it was a faithful flock and jesus said this he he's writing to them and he says i know thy works and sometimes you go to places like that and you're going to, just even right here, I mean, we just have a lot of dynamics here in this Bay Area that a lot of guys on the East Coast and Midwest where everybody speaks English, they don't understand this. We're dealing with an element where the majority of the people now that live in this area, English is not their first language and, and they're just, there's dynamics of being an immigrant. And you need to pray for the immigrants in this area. They're just, it's, 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 they're just trying to survive a lot and trying to keep their heads alive. And many of the people we're reaching and we're, we're getting them. A lot of them work on weekends. A lot of them work second and third jobs just to make ends meet. It's very expensive to live here if you haven't figured that out. Amen. And a lot of them are trying to learn English and trying to figure out how to get things going. And a lot of them have family back overseas and they send money back overseas. And some of you are doing that to take care of family there because you understand all those dynamics are. It's very difficult for them. They barely have a ha- handle on the language. And then they come here to America and they're just thinking, you know, we've got all these traditions from our, from our ancestors and things like that. And they feel like in some cases that if they, if they, if they convert to Christianity, that they feel like they're abandoning their ancestors and they're turning against them. And, and they have to understand that you, you, you cannot serve God and mammon. They have to understand that you, you serve God alone. But they're facing all these different pressures. Well, here was this church that made some inroads here and people started getting saved and God was starting to do some things here. And Jesus was commending this church. Notice two things he commends them for. Number one, he commends them for the Lord's person. He says, I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And he says, thou hast, and thou holdest fast my name. Thou holdest fast my name. Here was the church that where in a, in a city where, where Caesar was called God, you'd come to church at Pergamos and they'd sing, all hail the power of Jesus name. Amen. They say, take the name of Jesus with you. They would sing, there is a name I love to hear, I love to sing. It's worth, listen, right in the midst of a city there, they were praising the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, I know the pressures are hard. And I want to tell you tonight, I realize that you get a little uncomfortable about it. But we should never get tired of praising the name of Jesus Christ. And we should never get tired of realizing, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. He said, thou holdest fast my name. Here was the church that praised his name. Hey, here was the church that preached his name. I don't know who the pastor was that succeeded Antipas. But Antipas, I can imagine that God put on his heart. He had to help these people understand there's only one name you bow to. There's only one name that's Lord. And there's only one king, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And listen, you don't understand emperor worship. Emperor worship means not only worshiping the emperor, it means worshiping the son of the emperor. You go back, that's why That's why God gave us the very last plague there in Egypt, the death of the firstborn, because that would also involve the death of Pharaoh's son. And the death of firstborn is basically saying, your son 
doesn't count, but there's a greater son. Amen. And that greater son is Jesus Christ. And they had to understand that as they were in this city, that those are some of the obstacles they dealt with. But here was a church where Antipas got up and he preached on the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, tonight we, we exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we do, we're to do all in the name of Jesus Christ. We're to do for his glory. And I just want to tell you this evening, don't be in a place where let's, let's not be a church. Let's not be a Christian where his name is defamed. His name is discolored or his name is denied. I mean, they, he said here, thou holdest fast my name. They preached his name. They praised his name. They protected his name. I'm going to tell you tonight, if there's a church that's going to stand in an ungodly society, it must protect the name of Jesus Christ. We ought to be offended when people take the name of Jesus Christ in vain. We ought to be offended when they say something wrong about it. We ought to be afraid when they say Jesus Christ and they say it in a profane way. We ought to be offended when there's blasphemy against God. We ought to be offended with something like that. You say, preacher, we live in a day and age. We've got to tolerate it. Yeah, you may want to tolerate, but there's some things, biblically speaking, we do not tolerate because we protect the name of Jesus Christ here. He commanded them because he held, they held fast his name. And it was not hard. It was not easy. It was not easy. He commanded them for the Lord's person, but notice he commanded them for the Lord's precepts. Notice this. I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Here was the church, by every definition of the word, was fundamental Baptist. I'm not ashamed to be a fundamental Baptist. Get used to the term fundamental Baptist. Well, I thought a fundamentalist was a, was a terrorist. No, we used the word fundamentalist long before they came. Fundamentalist basically means you believe in the fundamentals of the faith. You believe that all of the Bible is the word of God. I got disturbing news from a young preacher that started out younger, well, he's younger than me. And he's, and he started with the King James. Now he's, he doesn't know even what version he believes. He's gone to other versions. I said, well, that doesn't surprise me, but it's very disheartening to appease the culture. To appease the culture. Listen, you believe that the Bible is the word of God. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. And it's preserved. That's God's word. We believe in God's word. We believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. With a capital S. We believe in his complete deity. 100% God. 100% man. We believe in the fundamentals and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, okay? We believe in the fundamentals of the vicarious death of Jesus Christ, that his death was sacrificial and substitutionary on your behalf and mine. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the fundamentals of faith. Now, I don't know why we had to have a number of men years ago get together, and they went, I forgot what, what city they went to in Europe, but they went, maybe it was Switzerland somewhere, and a bunch of fundamentalists got together and had this big conference, and they said, well, we need to come to agreement what the true fundamentals of the faith are that we believe in. That's where they concluded, and I'm not against that. I'm just saying today that this man here and this church here, that Bible, Jesus commended them because they did not deny my faith. Now, here's what happens. You stay in church long enough. And if you're not very careful, things start to drift a little bit. And, you know, the older you get, you just kind of want to flow with the crowd. You don't want to disrupt things. And things start to drift a little bit here. And so it's okay to drift over here on this. And it's okay to drift on there. And I said this this morning. I'll talk about compromise next Sunday night. But I said this morning, I get these calls about once a month from these different groups. And they, it's from the clergy group. And the clergy group says, Pastor Fong, we'd like to invite you to this breakfast. And we'd like to invite you to this luncheon. And Pastor so-and-so there. And her name, her name happens to be whatever there, okay? And they, Pastor so-and-so's there. And we 
we want you to come and we're going to hold hands together and have a kumbaya movement. Well, you know what? I like to be nice to people and I want to, and by the way, we should be kind to people. Amen. We ought to be nice to people. But I'm going to tell you that, that that's not where I'm going. That's not where we're going. That's an ecclesiastical separation issue. If you were here a few weeks ago, I talked about that from Second Thessalonians chapter three. That's an ecclesiastical separation issue. We're just not going to hold hands with people who deny that the Bible is the word of God, who deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, who deny that Jesus Christ is the son of God, who do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, you know, here, here's what a lot of them do. They believe in a spirit resurrection. No, it was a bodily resurrection. It was not a spirit resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ here. And they want to say, well, Jesus kind of swooned on the cross. He did not swoon on the cross. He died on the cross here, if we would. I want you to understand tonight that these compromising people want us to, to, to kowtow to that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm just a little hot about this. We've got a Baptist movement right now of Baptist preachers being led by these young guys who think we need to drift a little bit here and drift a little bit here. We need to change us to conform to the culture. The Bible doesn't tell us to conform to the culture. It says, be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. And listen, you parents, you better listen to me tonight. You're watching your kids in those school systems, and they're saying, man, you're no fuddy-duddy. You're not with it. It's hard to imagine some of you that were kids when I when I started working with you. You young people. Now you're older adults, and your kids are probably telling you stuff like that. You need to chill out a little bit. I understand we need to chill in our attitude. I understand. I appreciate that. But I want to tell you, the doctrines of the Word of God, the fundamentals of faith are non-negotiable. They do not change. We do not change it. We should not be mucking around with God's Word. We need to understand we need to hold up God's Word and hold it tight. And listen, some of you don't like that kind of preaching. Let me tell you tonight, I could take you to churches that some of you came out of. Those churches that began when they drifted. I've seen enough of them. I've been, I was in one where they drifted away, drifted away, drifted away. And I'm going to tell you right now, as long as i got breath in me, I have no intention of being part of something that's going to drift away from God right now. We believe in local church, not denominational churches. He says to this church, thou holdest fast my name and thou holdest fast my faith. Listen, tonight you have something to believe in and something to hold on to. You ought to tell God, thank you, Jesus, that we have a church that's strong to the fundamentals of the faith. And you, and by the way, don't, you don't have to look over at a constitution to find out what we believe. You just need to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night and realize the whole council of God's being preached. And if the council of God's being preached, you know we believe that everything's in here. I even believe the concordance. Amen. If you lived in that city, you knew that church was biblical. If you lived in that city, you knew, expected that church to be open Sunday morning, Sunday night, and if they had multiple midweek services, and midweek services. That's a fundamental church. If you lived in that church, you'd expect to see a gospel track. Now, albeit a gospel track would probably be a parchment this long. Amen? That's how the Ethiopian unit got saved. The best track ever written, Isaiah 53. Amen. Amen. You live in that city. It wouldn't be long before you find out there's a Baptist church dwelling where Satan's seat is. Do your neighbors know we have a church here? Does your family know we have a church here? That's where we have public safety Sundays. Does Brother Dino have some? Brother Dino, come, Brother Dino. Did you hear, Brother Brother Dino? Hey, they got a new police chief in Oakland. They're going to be looking for a new chief. You got to get me in there, brother. They just canned the the, the current one. Your son's there. I want your son here for this here for that. Hey, what an open door. Oakland doesn't need a new police. They need Jesus. Amen. The election year. 
the elect need to get busy for God. Amen. I'm just telling you tonight, you look at verse 13. This was a church that was not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I hold it fast my name. I hold it fast my faith. That's what we're all about. It covers everything right there. Those two statements Jesus made, it covered everything. I mean, you get, you go to Sunday school, they taught the Bible. You went to, you went to, you went to fellowship me, they had, a, they had, a, they had the word of God. I mean, everything there promoted Jesus Christ, exalted Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm just saying tonight, here was a church that we see a faithful flock, but notice thirdly, but notice the fiery fervor. Jesus said this, and this is our Lord speaking, I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Then he said this, would you notice, even in the days, those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you. The days of Antipas. The days of Antipas. When I got saved, I said this many times, I got saved, a good friend of mine gave me a subscription to the Sword of the Lord newspaper publication. When Dr. John R. Rice was the, was the, the founder and editor. And it caught my attention on that was it had this bold statement right on the front. Independent, fundamental, so winning, premillennial, amen. And a few things like that. And I didn't know a whole lot, but I knew this. I, that's what I identify with. Amen. That's, that's my crowd. And if you go back, we, man, we had some, we've had in our history, we've had some great men of God. Here in the state, the soil of the United States and overseas. And we've got some right now. I wish this year I could have been with my friend, Dr. Ed Lorena. Listen to this. I just got this this morning. They had their, um, let me find it here. They just had their, uh, one of their churches just had their 21st anniversary. It was the church at Santa Cruz in Laguna. And again, this is a, this is a Book of Acts church. And I got a picture to substantiate this. 1,272 first-time visitors, over 1,000 people saved. I know that not making that up. I've been there. I've seen it. They went to Santa Cruz University. We had the privilege of going to one two years ago, or last year, whatever it was, two years ago, Bulacan University in Bulacan. Santa Cruz University, and I have a picture, 1,500 students in an open air, just, just a covering over the top. There's no walls. 1,500 st- students there at Laguna State University were invited yesterday afternoon to hear the gospel. All 1,500 got saved. Amen. You know, this city was known because they had a preacher there that had a fiery fervor. He had a boldness from God. I was telling our Chinese department this morning, they listened so carefully as so I was preaching the first hour this morning. I said, boldness is not something we work up. Boldness is something we pray down. Boldness is an indication of the filling of the Spirit. Boldness is an indication that there's been a death to sell. And this man, Antipas, now you look at this, you say, what do you know about Antipas? Well, I'll tell you some things about Antipas, because of all things, the Apostle John discipled this man. The Apostle John 
discipled this man. He took Antipas under his wings and he discipled him and he taught him the ropes and he got the fire of, of Jesus in his heart. And Antipas there was set apart to the gospel ministry and they laid hands on him and he was commissioned to take the church at Pergamos. And he went in there full of gusto and full of fire and fervor. And he went there and you want to, I want you to see some things about this man because it's believed that when he became pastor, that was at the time that Nero was on the throne in Rome. And you have to understand when Antipas became pastor there at, at, there at Pergamos, it was not an easy road for 30 years there for all that time he was there. It was not an easy road because after him would be Domitian who would be the succeeding king, the succeeding emperor. But we see the fervor of his dynamic. As a protege of the Apostle John, the only way this man could, could flourish and the only way this man could lead this church to hold fast the name of Christ and to hold fast the faith, the only way this could happen, this man had to have a dynamic that was beyond him. This man had the dynamic of the power of God. Listen, we must have God's power if we're going to push back the gates of hell. And we must have the same power that Antipas had if we're going to not let the gates of hell prevail. This man had preaching with power. This man had personal work with power. Our power comes from praying. Our Our power comes from fasting and prayer. Our power comes from time alone with God. Our power comes from death to self and surrender to God's perfect will. Listen, we live in a day we're so anemic and we're so powerless and we're so weak. We don't have anything. I mean, we can't get things going because we have we are lacking the power of God. But this man, Oedipus, he had God's power all over his life and God was using him. No wonder Jesus came and said, I know where thou dwellest, where Satan's seat is. And he says, he talked about the days of Oedipus. Those were the good old days. Those were the days where this man was faithful to God. We read about this man doing a great work for the Lord. He was a man of power. And if we desire to be a church and a Christian that God's going to use, we must have God's power. Now listen to me tonight. I'm thankful we're having this workers conference and you need to be there and you need to get challenged and you need to get tooled up and you need to get the breath of heaven on your life. But I'm going to tell you this evening, if just having the conference without the power of God, we failed. We must have God's power in our life. We can't, having a conference without God's power is, is totally a waste of time. We must have God's power. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. Burton Gates is pastor there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. About 15, 20 years ago, Burton Gates went to an area. He went to an inner city area. I'm talking about rough stuff. Drug dealers, prostitution, all kinds of junk like that. He went there and Burton Gates got a church down. If you look at Burton Gates, he'd make the perfect bodyguard. I'm just looking at this guy. I mean, his face. I mean, he, you talk about a bulldog face. He has a bulldog face. Thank God his wife loves him. Amen. You know, he's got a bulldog face. And, uh, and you know, he's just, I mean, he's built. I mean, this guy, this guy's muscular. This guy, he can pull some weights there. But Burton Gates has got a heart of gold. I heard him give his testimony. He wept over the city of Philadelphia. I mean, he broke my heart. I wanted to go to Philadelphia. I have to heard his testimony there, you know. And Burton Gates went there. Listen, I'll tell you some things Burton Gates has done. Those, those, those drug dealers, they, they'd, they'd, uh, they'd have service going on in a little, little storefront church there. And they'd have church going on. And he got tired of all the music out there, the rap music and all that kind of stuff going on and the killings and the murders and rapes and going on all this stuff. You know what he did? He put two big, he bought two big sound systems, put it outside and they started pumping the gospel music out 24 hours a day right in the middle of the street there. Yeah. They're prepping it out there. Listen, those drug dealers went away. They figured they can't make him move away. They moved away, okay? I mean, they put people up there to watch the cars and the bicycles and things like that. He's, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a better than an RU recovery program. He's seen prostitutes get saved and their lives cleaned up and drug dealers get saved. Granted, they're all tatted up their arms and tatted up their necks and things like that. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that if they get saved. Amen. You know, they got saved. They're living for God. I mean, Burton Gates, I mean, this man's got vision. He's got power. But listen, I'm telling you what, Burton Gates is a modern day antibus getting the job done because he's got the dynamic of God on his life there but then there's a fervorous dedication look what jesus said here about this man he says he says uh thou hast not denied my faith 
even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. Jesus wanted them to understand about the dedication, the fervor of this man's dedication. Even in those days, on my faithful martyr, Antipas. Someone said, the men that move this world are men the world cannot move. And this was a man the world could not move. This was a man the culture could not affect. I'm going to tell you tonight, it takes dedication to build a church. It takes dedication to win souls. It takes dedication to build a class. You just can't go into class and go to a route or go to a ministry and just show up and think something's going to happen. There's a lot of groundwork that goes on behind the scenes that you've got to work at. And you're going to have to push and you're going to have to work and you're going to have to push. And you're going to have to keep going on. It takes dedication to get it done. It takes dedication to build disciples. Pergamus was a city where Satan's stronghold had many demon-possessed people. I mean, the city was rampant with demon-possessed people because of witchcraft and all of these other crazy things that were going on there. But Antipas fasted. Antipas prayed and Antipas worked in spirit. Listen to me tonight. Over time, Antipas ministry to these demon-possessed people was setting them free by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the power in his name. They're getting set free. They're getting in their right minds. They're clothed sitting in their right mind. That's a wonderful thing. Amen. The cultic priests, the priests of Asclepius, the priests of Zeus, and the Babylonian cults, Athena and all the rest in Zeus. They saw their market share started to diminish. And that's a good thing. Listen, there ought to be a place when we're as a church, the devil's stronghold starts to diminish. Amen. They saw their strong, they saw their, their they saw that the, there was a diminishing of all of these things. They started making complaints to the government. Because their market share was being taken away. And they blamed a Baptist pastor by the name of Antipas for it. They queried him. They said, Antipas, you better stop. He kept preaching. Antipas, you better stop. He kept witnessing. Close up your church. He kept church open. Stop preaching that Bible. He kept preaching the Bible. They told Antipas, come here, we have a, we want to talk to you about something. They took him to the temple of Esculapius. They took him right before that box. They said, listen, man, you're in big trouble right now. And we already have figured out what we're going to do to you. Here's, here, we're, going to make, we're going to do something to help you out. This box, everybody goes to this box. They take a pinch of salt. You go up to the altar of Caesar and you throw that salt in that altar and you say, Caesar, God, and we'll let you alone. Just do that one time. This pastor, I don't know about you, but can you imagine the pressure he was feeling at that moment? Can you imagine, humanly speaking, not spiritually speaking, but humanly speaking, what's going through his mind? And they said, you just take that pinch of salt and say, Caesar's God. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say Caesar's God. There's only one God. That's my God. He's the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Amen. He says, there's one God. Caesar's not God. Caesar's just a man. He's, he may call himself Pontifus Maximus, but he's not God. They got, they were a little frustrated with him. And they drove him, they drew, listen, they drew him in that temple. They drew Anubis in that temple. They said, Anubis, the whole world's against you. He said, then I'm against the whole world. Amen. His very name, Anubis, means against all. That's what a fundamentalist is. He's against everything. Amen. <laughs> Did you notice the fervor of his departure? 
They gave him one more try. In those days, they had a um, a life-size brazen bull. It was made out of brass. Everybody knew about it. And if you know the story about some of these, these brazen bulls that they had back in those days in their worship, they would, uh, they designed it in such a way that they could, they could burn a fire inside of it or under it and designed it, it would let off a kind of a, kind of a noise like a bull, you know, making bull noise. But many times they took this brazen bull and through it and in it, they would offer their sacrifices to their idols. They brought, they brought this dear man of God, this, this meek man of God by the name of Antipas. They're angry with him. I mean, they're filled with a demonic frenzy against this man. They brought him inside that temple of Escalupius. And they said, I, you know what? We've had it with you. You see this brazen bull? We're going to drag it outside. We're going to have some men carry it. We're going to heat it up over a fire. We're going to heat it up to its glowing red hot. You're going to be inside there. We're going to roast you alive. That's what we're going to do, Antipas. They put Antipas in there. And just like his forefather, Stephen, the martyr of Acts chapter 7, he got there. He got on before he got inside that bowl. He said, well, let me have a word of prayer first. He cried out to the God of heaven, just like Stephen did. He said, oh, God. He said, oh, God. He said, I, I want you to show these people that you're real. And he asked for God's mercies. I mean, he just replicated everything that Stephen did in Acts chapter 7. And he said, God, I commend my spirit to you, oh, God. I commend my spirit to you. And uh, they put him inside that bowl. And that thing started to get red hot. They said they didn't hear a cry of that man at all. That man, man, God took that man and took him to heaven right then and there, just like he did with Stephen. Now, the seculars will tell you, well, he cried and he burned... I believe this man was so loyal to Jesus, he did for that man exactly what God did for Stephen the martyr. I can't prove it, but I believe it. I believe it. Anubis, the whole world's against you. Then I'm against the whole world. Just like Stephen, he said, Lord, I commend you my spirit. The Bible says Stephen fell asleep. The Christian writers tell us, Antipas fell asleep. And Jesus is talking there during the days of Antipas. Because when he became pastor, it was during the days of Nero. And when they killed him, it was during the time of the emperor Domitian in AD 92. Now, this epistle was written around AD 95-96. God did not forget his martyrs. Thank God God doesn't forget us. He did not forget his martyrs. He did not forget those men who laid down their lives. He did not forget that Anubis gave his life for the gospel's sake. He did not forget this man's suffering. And I'm going to tell you tonight, some of you are suffering. You're very quiet about it. You have parents that are against you, family that are against you. They scorn you. They mock you. They make fun of the name of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you tonight, you have that courage of Anubis and you stand strong. Don't be obnoxious. Don't get in their face and be an obnoxious person. You have the love of Jesus in your heart, but you have prayed down holy boldness from God to give you exactly what he gave to Anubis during that time. Amazing. The time of his passing, his home going. Three to four years later, Jesus made it fresh and real in the heart of those church members. I want to tell you, Jesus said, I know your works. This is when the church was on fire. 
The church was gospel preaching. I'm almost done. The church that was loyal. A church that didn't get weary and well-doing. But in due season, he says, you'll reap if you faint not. The church got the job done. You see a fiendish force. We see a faithful flock. We see a fiery fervor as we close tonight. But you notice with me the fearless followers. The spotlight is on Antipas, my martyr. First recorded martyr in the Bible, Abel. He died because he would not compromise on the blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah was a martyr. Manasseh, if according to tradition is correct, Manasseh, Sodom, and Hap. That's who they're talking about in Hebrews 11. There were others that were martyred. Hebrews 11:36 says, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And I'm not telling you to be a martyr, okay? But I am telling you to have the same boldness he had, amen? Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These martyrs are few. But they're the 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to Baal. I've told this story before, but you need to hear it again. Chris and Kim Walters are missionaries we support in Japan. Their pastor, Ken Walters, is a good friend of mine in South Carolina. Kim Walters is a Chinese young lady by ethnicity whose parents, whose parents, her parents' origins are from Guangzhou, China. They immigrated from Guangzhou over to somewhere in Ireland. And just like every immigrant, they wanted to start life fresh and wanted to find success. And they started a family business and started doing very well. Kim was just a young girl, about five or six years old, maybe seven years old. An independent Baptist missionary to Ireland was giving out tracts and met Kim one day. Invited her to church. He and his wife loved on that girl, especially the wife. And the first Sunday, finally, the first Sunday she came... And she's so excited. By the way, there's nothing more happy to me than seeing children leave Sunday school excited and happy. Had a new family here that third time here. And I went to the B.C. And I saw the parents. I said, hey, I'm glad you came. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to shake your hand on the way out. They said, oh, we enjoyed the service very much. And I looked at their kids. I said, how was Sunday school? The daughter went like this. I said, what'd you get? And she said, a balloon. I said, wow, that's great. And then I turned to one of the church members who brought them her daughter, which was the same age as the younger son. And she said, yeah. And I gave, and she told me the name. She said, I gave to the brother my balloon. I said, well, that's great. Give me a high five, amen, you know. And I said, that's great. Nothing that makes me happier as a pastor than seeing children that love Sunday school, love church. By the way, you ought to say amen to that. 
She came home. Her parents in Cantonese very sternly said they were Buddhists. Where did you go? She said, Gawai, church. Her mother took him and literally beat the fire out of her. If that had been here in the United States, her mother would have gone to jail for what she did to her daughter. She beat the fire out of her daughter. Don't you ever go to that church again. We're not, we're not Christian. The missionary's wife went by the house. They were so happy she came to church. Mother happened to be home. Don't come back here. And Kim came up. They saw Kim. They could tell Kim had been, been through the ringer there. Just a little girl. By the way, don't touch a little child. Leave the little children alone. Don't you ever touch them like that. The missionary's wife said, man, that's rough. Six, seven-year-old girl, can you imagine that? The missionary's wife was very heartbroken. She said, I wonder if we'll ever see Kim again. Sunday morning got around. And I'm not telling you to do this. But Kim went out her bedroom window and went to church that next day, that day. She walked there. She had a good time in church. She came home, embraced herself. Where'd you go? Church, they beat the fire out of her again. And I'm not talking just spank her on the rear. I'm talking they beat the fire out of her. They beat the fire out of her. You know what? She's a missionary's wife in Japan preaching the gospel now. Amen. I want you to think with me for a minute as we close. We have unsung martyrs that we'll only hear about who are following as fearless followers of Anipis. Nigeria, Boko Haram, terrorists, they're beheading Nigerian pastors. They're splitting them open. I don't want to go here. They're splitting them open so their guts fall out. They're kidnapping children and taking them up in the mountains and just awful. And then we don't even know about the pastors, the underground pastors in Iran and Iraq who are being killed. Sudan, Pakistan, China, they still say today, they, they believe, the voice of martyrs still believes today that the largest number of incarcerations of, of Christians is still inside China right now. North Korea, which nobody has numbers on that. Malaysia and Indonesia and these strongly Muslim, radical Muslim-dominated countries. Vietnam. India, read some of the reports we get from our, our Indian missionaries. Sri Lanka, where our missionaries are at. And I think the numbers are very understated. They say over the last hundred years, there, there, there have probably been a minimum of 100 million 
Christians who have died for the faith. They're not here. They're in foreign soil, the innermost parts of the world. I know where thou dwellest, where Satan's seat is, and yet thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Hey, listen to me tonight. This is not a time to find better methods. God needs better men. This is not a time to capitulate and conform to the world. This is not a time to become indifferent and complacent. This is not a time to quit. We need some Antipas Christians. The days of Antipas, they're not gone yet. There are 7,000 haven't bowed their knees. Are you one of them? Are you one of them? I pray tonight God would give us renewed zeal. Because this was a church in those days of Antipas that the gates of hell could not prevail against. We want to keep hell out. We don't want the gates of hell making advancement here. We need exactly what this church had in those early days. We need that fire. We need to hold fast His name. We need to hold fast to faith. If you're drifting, get back on center course. Don't remove the ancient landmarks. Follow not the way of the heathen, Jeremiah said. Stand strong for God. Would you be bold tonight? Would you take a stand for Christ? Would you live for Him? The church that the gates of hell could not prevail. Father, tonight we thank You for this man by the name of Antipas and the church of Pergamus. Lord, I feel so ashamed in my own life how little I'm doing. You said, you know where we dwell, where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name. And thou holdest fast my faith. Even in those days where Antipas, my faithful martyr, was slain, where Satan dwelleth. This area is a stronghold of Satan, Lord. I think of our universities our school system, the entertainment. I think of places like Las Vegas, Atlantic City, Macau. I think about our good friend, Brother Tim Rasmussen, where his church is at, the pornography capital of the world. I think about our brethren in China right now and in communist countries, literally at the place where Satan's seat is. And there's nothing different about it here. Lord, we are in the midst where Satan dwelleth. Father, raise up some Antipas, Christians who have boldness and fervor and dedication and the power of God. You're not asking us to die for the faith, but if we had to, I pray that some of us would be willing to. But you are asking every one of us to die to self and die to the flesh.
to mortify our members which are upon the earth. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not things here. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. I pray all around the room, we'd say, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I pray tonight be a time of confession, of indifference, of lukewarmness, casual Christianity. Help us to hold up your name, to praise his name, to preach his name, and protect his name. I pray for spiritual inertia right now in our invitation time. We would not respond to the voice of man, but respond to the voice of God. Because, Lord, if we don't, we're listening to an evil heart of unbelief. And you said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. Would you help us tonight? Give us San Leandro and San Lorenzo and Hayward and Oakland and Castor Valley and Union City, Newark and Fremont. I pray down to all the way to Milpitas. Father, give us San Francisco and Petaluma and all of West Contra Costa County. All of that Quad City area of San Ramon, Dublin, Pleasanton, Livermore. Give us Alameda. Give us the peninsula. God, give us wisdom in claiming these areas for Christ. I pray for these next several weeks. A great attendance of soul winners and participants doing what we can. Lord, protect your church tonight. Don't let it drift. Don't let it, Lord, be a place where you have a few things against us. Pray for our doctrine to be pure, our motives to be pure, our heart to be pure, our lives to be pure. Someone here tonight's not saved. I pray that, God, they'd open their hearts and call upon Jesus as their Savior. Have thine own way, we pray now in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you need to come tonight, you come join me at the altar tonight. Would you come? We need some anapists tonight. Hold fast his name. The fire diminishing. We need a place where we take some market share from the devil. He's had a stronghold in too many things. We need some market share in these schools. Market share in some of these companies. We need to take some market share in some of these streets. Would you help us today? Would you make a bold determination to set aside, make the time as much as you can to help us with that? Father, this evening, let the power of God come down on us. We, we dismiss in a few moments. We thank you. We've had a good day in the house of God. And I pray that you would give us encouragement and help as we go home. Take some time to pray and revolve around the Bible and your word. I thank you, Lord, tonight that you've encouraged us and inspired us about Antipas. And the church in Pergamos, the church that did not let the hell, hell's gates prevail. Help us be strong in the Lord, the power of your might. And after having done all to stand, emboldened every decision made, every renewal, thank you for cleansing forgiveness. Dismiss us in a moment with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.